Hello. 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 Yeah, we're in the building. Pencil to pencil in the building. Um, hope everybody's well tonight. Um, I am going to get us started and I'm going to give a plug to our sponsors and tell you who are these beautiful people you're looking at today. Uh, just some things before we get really into it. Um, <clears throat> there's going to be a audio component to this. So what Mike and I are planning on doing is taking the audio versions of our uh, live podcast and putting them on iTunes and Stitcher and all that. So I may be a little more verbose than usual as I'll explain things that you may not be seeing if you're not watching live. Um, I hope that makes sense to everybody. Uh, welcome, Have a. I hope you're having a good Saturday. My name is Jamar Nicholas, uh, one of the co-hosts of Pencil to Pencil. I'm joined by my good buddy and cartoonist at large, Mike Manley. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> um, this is our second live StreamYard powered uh, podcast. And uh, Mike, we got a lot of good uh, feedback from the one we had last Wednesday. Yeah, we did. We uh, I had people shipping uh, comments to me, I guess, for several days afterwards. Really? Anything you could share? <laughs> uh, like, please don't ever do that again. <laughs> Why did you hurt my computer? Get off my screen. <laughs> That's right. I've, I've decided to quit comics. Oh, no. <laughs> Those are the best. <laughs> um, well, yeah, this has uh, been a great little, uh, almost, a, dare I say, level up of where we have began. Um, just the advances in technology make, you know, video uh, such a great option, and it's not um, <clears throat> as cumbersome, the StreamYard stuff, as like doing Skype things, because they're always shaky. Somebody sounds like they're in a tin can. Somebody right. else, right? Right. right. Well, and supposedly, uh, several of the people we interviewed uh, on the podcast a while back were in L.A., Mm. LA is like a bad Skype. You know, you figure the entertainment capital of the United States would be that would be the place where the Skype would be good, <laughs> right? But it's not good. But it's, no, yeah, it's not good. It's it's, it's, it's it's bad. So people are like, you know, sound like they're being uh, beamed in and beamed out as you're talking <laughs> to them. Yeah, and the bad thing about these things, it's like we're professional cartoonists but not professional audio technicians and we do our best and this stuff has gotten it's like gotten a lot more user friendly than before like you don't need a mixing board to be in the studio but you still want some professionalism to it right well i think what you also you want um predictability and ease of use when you're working mm -hmm. you know when you're, you're doing it um mm -hmm. it's like you said otherwise then you have to have a a team of people doing everything. There's a team of three, you and me, and uh, Steve, and Steve Conley was helping us a lot in the mm -hmm. beginning by putting mm -hmm. putting all the stuff together. Yeah, but I mean, I think I think we're we're uh, cooking with gas now. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. I want to give a plug to our sponsor. Uh, where's my thingy? I have a thingy for everything. Uh, your sh our show is sponsored by Clip Studio Paint. Um, I just kind of come off the head with these things. Like I, we wouldn't be supported by this company if we didn't believe it in it or use it. But uh, uh, Mike uses it. I use it almost 
I would say what seventy five or maybe a little more percentage of the cartoons we know dabble in Clip Studio Paint or maybe use it in their everyday studio practice. What do you say, Mike? I would say that probably within the last year, year and a half, it seems like more guys of of, of my era, maybe down to your era, have mm -hmm. started using it. Young people were the younger people were sort of starting out using because it said manga studio. Mm -hmm. so that was, those are the magic words that people wanted to, to you know. Um, but I use I do Judge Parker all digitally. So yeah. In fact, in fact, lately because of the the whole coronavirus thing, I've been doing uh, even the Phantom digitally. So like last week, I penciled it. And then I sent it to Liang, who was doing the inking some of the backgrounds, and she inked them in Clip Studio. And then I inked the figures in Clip Studio and combined them together in a final. Uh, so, uh, yeah. I, mm -hmm. And it's much better for Photoshop for inking. Mm -hmm. uh, we already have uh, some people populating the chat room. And just to uh, reiterate, you guys, I, I'm controlling the boards here. I cannot see if you're in the room, just that there are people in the room. So the way I know you're here is if you type something in the comments. So say, hey, ask a question. Uh, my good buddy, Tim Fielder, in an uh, amazing cartoonist, said, agrees with us, Mike, and says that he uses it absolutely. Also Photoshop. Mike, do you see your Photoshop um, usage kind of seesawing with clip studio like what's your what's your daily run through using computer software uh well usually what i do on the judge is um i do everything clip mm -hmm. except for the coloring i i i i'm so you know cartoonists are like creatures of habit so mm -hmm. i'm so good at coloring and everything in photoshop mm -hmm. and usually i'm always on the burning deadline that mm -hmm. I haven't quite gotten around to coloring in Studio Paint, mm -hmm. um, and so I know my deal in Photoshop. So I gotta like, boom, do it and get it out, right? <laughs> right. But I think uh, Mimi colors in uh, Clip Studio, mm -hmm. and I think Liang colors in Clip Studio. So I would probably have to sit down and like do a couple projects mm -hmm. to see, because I know exactly what my 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 deal is in Photoshop, and yeah, I think that's the that's really the major di difference. Is when you're on a deadline, you don't have time to experiment. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, yeah, and um, just on that that whole tip, uh, it reminds me of when there was a lot of piracy going on, like back in the kind of the dark ages of the internet. Or you just what do you mean back? There are people still pirating today. Well, I mean, and I, I don't want to like blast anybody, but I remember when. Uh, the internet wasn't so prevalent and you had to know a guy who knew a guy who had a couple of uh, floppy disks that you might be able to put some Photoshop on your computer, you know, those days. And um, then once we actually got to a point where we could actually afford to buy the real software, I realized I stopped like experimenting or up or like upgrading and upgrading and upgrading because once you find something that works, you don't have time to mess with it. Right. So, did you yeah. find did you find uh, a, a certain Photoshop number or something where you were just like, "Don't touch it, leave it alone. I don't want to upgrade or you know do a, any refreshing." Uh, I th I think well, actually, 
I always had legit stuff from the beginning. Um, mm. Part of it was, you know, when I did Batman, I got pretty good money there for the for that little spell. So I took that money and mm. used that to buy my my stuff, and I bought the licensed stuff so that I could upgrade the stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say that CS4 was fine with me. They didn't need mm -hmm. to upgrade it after it. Now I have the new, the new one. But mm -hmm. every you know every time they update something, they take something over here and they move that over there and they put something over here and they move that down there, and then mm -hmm. they rename it or they like well you used to just be able to hit this one key right and do, and like I said for me it's all about maximizing my uh, workflow. Mm -hmm. And then I don't want to have to go on some forum and read, oh, by the way, yes, they no longer do this or they don't do that or you have to do this to do right. that. It's right. really frustrating. Right. No one has the time for that, especially in the studio when, you know, deadlines are real and you, you know, you can lose a week just to upgrading your software or say you have a crash or your your zip drives go bad. <laughs> your your zip disk run a run a foul of the of the magnet. Well, yeah. That just happened the other day. Mm -hmm. uh, Mimi let her computer get upgraded, the new system or whatever, uh, and then all of a sudden something's not working. See, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. had that happen once before, where you went to the automatic update, and then all of a sudden your driver doesn't work. And they yeah. haven't made a driver for the new version of what you're working on. And again, you know, if I'm working on paper, okay, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. But if I'm doing this stuff digital, then that doesn't work for me. If suddenly my stylus doesn't work. Right. Right. And you just you just can't risk that, right? Right. Um, my uh, good buddy, it's good to see all you guys in the chat. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, fantastic cartoonist and a, a great friend of mine, Chuck Collins, uh, says honestly, I will say that I use. Photoshop for color correction, but I found that Clip Studio has a lot of actions that can do the same thing. I'm experimenting with it now. Yeah, um, it's just I remember there was a while where a lot of people were like, I like you said, my people got a little flummoxed when Manga Studio came out, and they're like, well, you know, I draw comics, I don't draw manga. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so just the, the name changes kind of mess with people. That's you know, real rap. A lot of people weren't running to pick that up. Because there were a lot of things out at the same time that people started to find allegiances with. Like, I, I hear from a lot of young students or cartoonists, like back in the day, we're like, oh, I don't have Photoshop. Photoshop costs how much? Yo, I got GIMP, right? Or right. what was that paint? What was it? Paint Studio Psy and all of those other things. Painter, like all those things. Like, I remember Painter was so volatile, like it would blow up your toaster <laughs> after 30 yeah. minutes, you know. But it, you know, you don't really hear that with some of the new stuff. And Clip Studios just seems to be the leader. And this isn't a shill session, we're just talking shop, right? Well, but see, that, but, but one of the things I always point out to the younger uh, cartoonists is that you don't have to have any of that stuff to learn how to do cartooning. Yes. All right. Mm -hmm. You can still learn to draw comics with paper and pencil and pens and everything. You don't need to have all that tech stuff. In fact, sometimes that people get distracted with that. They think, mm -hmm. oh, I have to have this thing. I have to have this filter. I have to have this. Mm -hmm. And they get so into that and yeah. not into the fundamentals. And if you yeah. practice the fundamentals, then it doesn't matter what 
format you're using. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I um, also know people get caught up, like the new hustle is getting caught up in brush packs and ink packs. And I got to upload like 5,000 brushes to this thing. And like, it's, it's just like a, a creative distraction. Uh, Mike, my good friend, Josh Ellingson, we go back a long ways. Hey, Josh, says, uh, remember the early versions of Manga Studio that you had to pick which color you were going to draw in because you could only pick one, but everyone used it anyway because the inking was so sweet. I forgot about that. A lot of people were won over by Clip Studio or Manga Studio just because the inking was so buttery smooth. That's and mainly, that's why, why I like it is the inking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you really had to finesse Photoshop to make it do what you wanted it to do. So I know there's still some people who have lines in the sand just from that. Like I finally got this thing to do the line I want. I'm not messing with it. Yeah, and I found myself that there really is only two brushes that I use. Um, one is the um, one is the Real G Pen, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the other one is the Yeti Rough Three, mm -hmm. and all the other ones say that there's something else, but they all basically look the same, all mm -hmm. right. And there's not really the variety of the of the pen performance that there is with the traditional pens, mm -hmm. because basically you're inking everything on the same piece of glass. And the difference between that and the real world is if I use a 108, which is very flexible, hunt 108. Mm -hmm. On a piece of paper, or I use a Hunt 102, which is less flexible. Mm -hmm. I actually feel the the flexibility of the actual pen nib yeah. on the actual surface. Yeah. If I'm inking digitally, I'm only getting I'm getting the same feeling. So what I have to rely upon is muscle memory. Yeah. Because I'm not getting. I know that if I use a certain type of pen on a certain type of paper, I'm going to be able to pull a line, actually make a line that will feel a certain way. Right. Okay. That's not, not ever going to happen on a pen unless they start making a surface of the, of the actual screen right. feel like a piece of, you know, hot press or cold press 300 Strathmore. Well, you know, they have, um, I, I don't have it, but um, I've seen a couple of people, and I think Chuck in the chat room, have have you been experimenting with that? Um, they have like a new Surface film that you can put on the, the, the face of your Mobile Studio Pro or other Wacom products, maybe the iPad. I'm, just, I'm sure they have it for iPad, which kind of gives it more of a paper feel. Um, I can't say much about it because I've never used it, but I think that's something that people are experimenting with. Just because that 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 skating across the surface really messes with people, and just trying to find something that can kind of mimic it. Yeah, for for me, really, it's it's a means to an end, mm -hmm. you know. And working digitally is something that the client demands, not that you demand it. Um, I would probably always work traditionally because I'm faster traditionally, and I enjoy it more. Mm -hmm. My eyes don't get if I work 14, 16, 24 hours in a day. Mm -hmm. burning a long deadline, my mm -hmm. eyes are way more tired after staring at a screen that long than, than the actual piece of paper. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tim Fielder says, I got to say, Ray Frinden has been a beast with creating awesome brushes. And 
Thanks for that, Tim. Ray, uh, Ray Friend and I tried to reach out to him a while ago. I was going to interview him for Draw Magazine, just because he was like a, a early progenitor. Is did I say that right? Of creating new brush packs and things like right when um, the iPad came out with the Procreate and everybody's picking up eye pencils, and he was in there heavy, really making like cartoonist brushes and nibs. Um, but yeah, he does great work. And I have I have one of his packs that I have on my clip studio. Um, Chuck says, yes, it's really good uh, talking about the paper surface, Mike. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, it's really good. Still not paper, but almost as good. And he's looking for a link. So anybody in the chat, if you want to um, uh, put that out or copy, copy and paste that. Uh, also, Tim says, yes, like paper, yes, like the paper cover. I use it on my iPad. I finished my book with it. Oh, that's awesome, man. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, you know, my whole thing just fell apart. Hold on a second. So, yeah, we're live, baby. This is real. <laughs> no tape. This is not tape. You better go get some tape. Bro. No, Take no. Back together. The jaw just fell off the table. <laughs> so. I'm just going to freestyle it. Um, that's because that's what professionals do. Um, all right, just to finish this thread, Chuck says uh, it wears down on plastic nibs. That's a that's a good caveat. But the felt tips work great with it. You have the same amazing resistance with it. Hmm. Uh, uh, and also, Tim says, however, I'm spoiled. We're kind of flipping conversations here. Uh, I use my Cintiq Pro 32 to do my work. And of course, as predicted by Mike, my 32 has been on the Blitz for the last week. Very frustrated. Yeah, there, there's there's nothing worse than when, <laughs> when your equipment doesn't work. <laughs> and of course, you know, when <laughs> your equipment is always going to go down at five o'clock on Friday. Yeah. That's yeah. when it'll it'll blitz out, and that's yeah. when everything will crash. When then nobody will be open till Monday, right? And of course, your project will be due Monday. Mm. So uh, you really have to almost have. Well, I have a laptop, mm. and I have my uh, iMac, mm. and I bought the laptop because I don't have didn't have a, a laptop. Mm. I was just working with my iMac, and mm. I know eventually what would happen is one day you go to do something, and that's it. No yeah. more iMac. Yeah. So. Um, at least I can run all my gear on my my Cintiq off my iMac. So I am not updating anything on that mm -hmm. at all. I'm not updating the system and everything until I know for sure mm -hmm. everything would be updated because I'm not going to do that thing where I have my iMac go down, go to my backup system, and by the way, oh, you automatically backed up last month, mm -hmm. and none of your drivers and other your other stuff will work. So. I just read... Um, on so, somebody said in in Facebook that I think they did like an, not an airdrop, but one of those Mac things where uh, oh he like operated his iCloud and the iCloud I think took everything off his co computer and then yeah. crashed it or something like that and he couldn't get it back. Oh my God, that's that's the that's gotta that, be a nightmare. Yeah, that ha actually happened to me. A month ago, mm. I'd done, I done a week of uh, one of the strips, and then I was going to go to go to load them, mm -hmm. and I go, where are, the, where are the strips? I can't I can't find anything. Yeah. It turned out that for some, maybe automatically when I restarted Photoshop, it mm -hmm. turned on the cloud, 
and it swept everything as I was doing it. I was thinking that it was saving it to my, my hard drive. So, yeah. you know, it's like, it's hard enough doing this job. <laughs> just, just drawing pictures for a living, right? It's hard yeah. enough to do that without having to fight your tech. And I'm, you know, I'm, I've, and we all end up sort of becoming, I feel like tech people by default because yeah. you have to figure out why did this thing just explode on me? Why did this thing just disappear on me? Why mm -hmm. can't I use it? Why is my, you know, what happened to all my files? <laughs> um, so now I always have to make sure that the icon for the iCloud is turned off or that's mm -hmm. what happened. So I remember when all of this stuff started really popping up and I used to needle you a little bit, Mike, if I was like, yo, Mike, when are you going to get that uh, manga studio, your mic? And we used to have the very energized conversations about um, paper versus digital, right? We're in a whole different realm now with that argument. Just for for expediency's sake, I you know I feel like everybody's going digital now. Um, but just talk about for a second, if you want, uh, some of the benefits of working on paper. Uh, well. The main benefit to the young artist is risk, all right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, also, I think, and and I say this now because I've been teaching young artists for like close to 20 years mm -hmm. and then seeing how the digital has come up. I see a lot of young artists in their teens and early 20s become reliant upon Command Z. Mm -hmm. and so they're working... And in between them and their creation, the line, the, the piece of art they're creating is the technology. And so I'm working on make the line, Command Z. Make the line, uh, Command Z. Make right, the line, right. Command it's almost like a, 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 command Z. Like a yeah. muscle, right. Right. So it's like you're not actually drawing something and then looking and then erasing. And uh, one of the things I learned actually from going back to art school was that you know what they, they would the Italians would call the pedimenti. The the when you erase something, you still see the sort of the old image. Mm -hmm. You like, can build upon on that image, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's a little bit different than having to create another layer. Right. And so I think that if you are better organically with real material, you will be better digitally. Mm -hmm. And the digital stuff is always going to be changing, but the organic stuff doesn't change in the same in that same way. It's not all of a sudden like you've got to learn how to do new key commands to do mm -hmm. to do something. So I see the students who are the best draftsmen mm -hmm. draw the best, mm -hmm. draw traditionally the best. Ooh, that's spicy, Mike. <laughs> I have never I have never seen a student who was better drawing digitally than they are traditionally. Wow. They may think that they're better. Mm -hmm. They may be able to, you know, you can use that thing to smooth out your line. Yeah. But that's like having an exoskeleton. You actually don't make a smooth line if the computer's making the smooth line for you. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Now, it's different if you're a person in production. Yeah. And your job is to do some kind of specific thing. But I'm talking about like whole hog, you as a creative person, you know, you will be a better digital artist if you are a better traditional artist. Yeah. Especially yeah. in the beginning. I've actually seen it retard people's 
progression because they get so addicted and then like, oh, I can't work now because my way works not set up right. My my setup is not perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have the tablets got to be at the right height and this has got to be over here. And this mm -hmm. is I, you know, also there are people I know in their 20s who already have carpal tunnel. Yikes. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, but yeah, I so I I. I don't think I would be as good an artist today if I had started out uh, doing too much digital. I think I think part of my ability to use digital the way that I want, mm -hmm. which is always the key to me, it's like, are you doing something the way that you want right. or are you just doing it because, well, that's kind of how it happened, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To me, that's not what you want as an artist. You want to be in command of your skills you want to be in command of what you're doing. The command of so you will say, "I'm. I want to draw this. I want to paint this. I want it to look like this." Not like, well, that's <laughs> kind of the. This is kind of the default of how it ended up looking. Right. You know. Yeah, it's. I think it's getting harder and harder, especially as a teacher. The both of us teach, to try to maybe slowly steer students away from relying on the digital so much. Um, I don't want to think that we're fighting against it. I don't think that's the, the fight we're claiming. But to try to maybe see a student pare back some of the reliance on the digital, just as, like you said, it strengthens you as an artist to come from a physical, tactile place and just kind of like doing those re reliances on the, con the controller command Z and they're almost like uh, crutches. Right. Well, the other thing is you have to always remember now when you're a young artist, you. Oh no, he froze. Hold him. We'll get him back. We got some freezing going on you guys. All right. I'm going to dump them and then bring it back in. Hold on one second. There you go. Hey, Mike, you back? Yeah. All right. Let's say it again. So, so my point was, if you're 21, 22, 23 today, you graduate from college, you go out, you work in a studio, in the next 10 years, things are going to change quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the better your skills, your traditional skills are, will allow you to navigate whatever changes in software you will have to overcome or adapt in order to do your job. Mm -hmm. yeah. Especially now that we're in a global situation where the people in the rest of the world are learning to use the digital tools just as well as you are. So then what do you have to offer against that? Right. So, um, yeah, I, I believe you have to really work traditional. Um, and then you can work digital. Like I said, I do both. I do one strip all traditional if I right. can. Right. Do one digital all I can. Mm -hmm. uh, I I I embrace uh, digital technology. Part of being a commercial artist means that you have to be able to embrace the changes that are coming your way, uh, and use them because that's what the client wants. It's not again. It's not always about what you want. It's about how what the client says. Well, I need it three by three square. You know, mm -hmm. that's. That's the way in this format with this resolution, you know, may not be, I mean, it's never going to be to me as beautiful as looking at a, an original piece of art inked by Williamson mm -hmm. or, or a great Kirby page inked by Senate. Right. There's no digital piece of art that's going to have that beauty of, of an original like that. 
You can make beautiful art, but again, it's a different relationship right. to it. But but Mike, I use the the brush with the cross hatching on it. Doesn't it doesn't that <laughs> doesn't that count? Right. So does everybody else. So your cross hatching works just like everybody else's. Our good friend Steve Conley and everybody give Steve some props. He uh, he designed our pencil to pencil branding and logo. Steve's a fantastic cartoonist. Go read the Middle Age. Up for what is it up for this time, National Steve? Cartoonist Society nominee. Yeah, yeah for Ruben. Go you. Uh, Steve says another reason for traditional. You have originals to sell. That's true. Mike, you want to touch on that for a minute? Well, I t I do sell quite a bit of originals of the Phantom, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's a big market for the Phantom art yeah. for especially overseas. Yeah. So that's a significant source of income, mm -hmm. and and you know. Maybe one day they won't make any more of these strips, right? Yeah. Then that then they will be even more rare. So yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, so it, it almost made me think about. And I don't want to talk too much about it if it's not interesting, but just the differences in respect <laughs> in different countries for cartooning versus the states. Um, I, I haven't been out of the country in a while. You mean, you mean the rest of the world compared to the United States? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the ROW. Like when we were in France a couple of years ago, geez, it was almost like 10 years ago. And we were just in the tube in the subway and there were giant like 15 feet high posters for the Peyo exhibit. Um, and I think there was, um, oh man, I'm forgetting his name. The, uh, 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 the Cortez, uh, Hugo Pratt, Hugo Pratt. Thank you. Went to a five floor Hugo Pratt exhibition, you know, and it was full of people like they just, yeah. they just, they love cartooning there. And it's, just, it's like a, it's like a real, it has value. And well, they're also more of a literate culture than we are reading in general, I think is valued yeah. in a way that, uh, mm -hmm. You know that it it that we don't. There's some really low number, like less than thirty percent of people go into bookstores in the United States. They're all closed now, so nobody's going. But um, just in general, yeah. the amount of people that go into bookstores and read books are is pretty is pretty low. Mm -hmm. uh, and even like before the manga boom in the states, maybe ten year, ten fifteen years ago, um, just the the way the culture is is built around manga and even like anime characters like everything is cartooned there like you know if you're trying to figure out how to make the music come on your toilet before you press the wrong bidet button there's a little <laughs> cartoon character that's like you know oh <laughs> oh shot fire shot fire on my butt what that was the wrong oh a kitty face oh, press, oh. Press for gentle flow, right? <laughs> and it's just kind of an accepted part of the culture. And, you know, um, almost everybody at some point grew up with cartoons, but they kind of stayed in that same place. Like, oh, well, I've read Charlie Brown. You know, or you, uh, even this, a lot of people engage with Charlie Brown because of the specials that used to come on at the holidays, not necessarily reading Peanuts in the newspaper. So yeah. I think... I don't know how people relate. I, that's again, yeah. that's one of the things I always ask the students. It's like yeah. that was common for us, 
you yeah. know, you would school, you saw the school, got the scholastic catalog. It had mm -hmm. Charlie Brown stuff all over it. Mm -hmm. You know, you had yeah. the holiday specials. Charlie Brown was everywhere. Yeah. I don't know how ubiquitous that is today with the kids. I would say the anime stuff, but again, there's your outside of Pokemon and the Pokemon, you know, game for your phone. Right. I don't know. Do people, I don't think kids read peanuts. Well, I mean, the kids read, and that's a whole other conversation. I mean, he doesn't have a cell phone. He doesn't have a lot of things. So would they go like, this is kind of weird. I'm not really into it, you know? I think, hold on. I'm messing with my deal. Hold on a second. I think, and I've said this a lot, there's such a demand for your eyeballs these days that other things went out. Like Grand Theft Auto Five is a lot more interesting than Peanuts cartoon, Peanuts strips, <laughs> right? So I think it's like, how are we attracting kids to want to read this material? It, first, if they can find it, is it available? If it isn't, what, what are we doing as cartoons? It's also not ironic. I think a lot of the stuff, if you go on Webtoons mm -hmm. and you look at the stuff that's on Webtoons, it's very popular. Mm -hmm. That stuff tends to have a lot more irony. The humor is much more ironic now. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of like Family Guy, where everybody kind of is a smartass and has the same sort of ironic mm -hmm. kind of personality. Mm -hmm. You know, like mm -hmm. I don't, I don't feel the characters' personalities are as distinct as they used to be. Yeah. Um, and so I think what appeals to an eight-year-old. And appeals to a twelve-year-old, and appeals to a seventeen-year-old. You know, they everybody kind of read the same things when we were a kid. Right. There wasn't that much difference. You know right. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now I think there's a lot more like specifically targeted stuff to oh, tw like there were no tweens when I was a tween. Yeah, they didn't exist yet. Right. Right. As so, a marketing power. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think there's a lot more of that. There was just the general youth culture, and youth equaled comics and cartoons and, mm -hmm. and general now even within that there's subcategories of youth mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. and i think that subcategory even sort of carries over into comics mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah I, I i totally agree and just it made me think for a second when you talked about teenagers that which is very weird. The, the teenager as a consumer construct isn't that old, right? Like the beginning of like soda shops and uh, uh, poodle skirts and all of that kind of stuff was like the beginning of, oh, well, wait a minute. These people have money. Let's market things to them like rock and roll and get them to spend money on things. And now that uh, kids are a lot older at a young age they, and have their own money. That's where tweens came from. Let's market to these people, this youth group that actually consumes stuff and pays for it, you know? So Lord knows what's going to be next. But, you know, I, I mean, it all comes down to money. And even like the Saturday morning cartoons, which used to blow people's minds when you told them, well, you know, they're just toy commercials. What? <laughs> what? What do you mean? Um, and I think I think cartoons have now morphed into something else since that the time of CBS at eight o'clock on a Saturday morning. 
where like, you know, Cartoon Network makes money a different way than making a toy line. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know what? I'm not getting any questions in, or comments in a room because I think everybody's just listening to you, Mike. <laughs> oh, what I'm, I'm, I'm bringing everybody down. No, it's it's, it's a bad clown bringing th- everybody down. I think one of the interesting things about doing these things with you, because when I'm doing my coffee breaks, I think that there's a different type of uh, vibe to it. Is that everybody, and you know, myself included, even though we're old old friends, are just intrigued by how you know you make the sausage. <laughs> so you know, I, think I did have a kielbasa for lunch. <laughs> so I think a lot of times people just want to hear you or watch you draw, and maybe we can throw in some of that really so, fast. So people should throw out more. Should throw out more questions mm-hmm. if, they, if they have. Yeah. You know, between us, we cover such a wide spectrum of cartooning. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, one of the things uh, I can say that as as you get older, you tend to, I think, appreciate more what you went through and you uh, you sort of reaffirms your goals that you made yourself, that you have achieved, and the ones that you still want to achieve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I think that... Um, you know, my goals when I was 20 was just to get in the business. Yeah. Then when you get in the business, then you want to do a certain kind of thing. Right. And after you do that, it's like, oh, well, now I, I don't really want to do that anymore. Maybe I want to kind of do something else, you right. know? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I've been doing this 35 years this year. Wait, what would you say? How many years? 35 years. Oh, man. That's that's wild. 35 years. And so, you know, I still love it. It was the thing that I loved the most. Mm-hmm. Like you were you wanted to talk about like when I was a kid. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what I wanted to do when I was 13. I wanted to do this. I wanted to be I wanted to be doing what I am doing today. Not drawing Judge Parker per se, but I mm-hmm. wanted to be a professional cartoonist. Yeah. I still want to be a professional cartoonist, even though you know your tastes change. You know, yeah, and the yeah. business and the business that I wanted to be in doesn't really exist in the way that it existed when I originally wanted to be in comics. Mm-hmm. You know that that Stan Lee's soap op box era has been dead for pretty much since I started almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, then you have to you also have to change your your goals and your path even while you're on the journey sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you? I I see this a lot, and talking with some of my, I, I I'm trying to figure out a way to say this. It doesn't sound bad or good either way. Like we're all in different timelines or different journeys, right? I know uh, cartoonists who are like mountains above me. I know cartoonists who just started, <laughs> and, right. I, and I know people who are now like. I, like I would say for myself, we're at probably an interesting part of the career where you've been around long enough that now your name is, generates its own gravy and things start opening up for you. But you generating my own gravy. Oh, oh. Wow. But, I took a shower. But 
you still may not feel like you're there yet. Whatever there means for you is different for everyone, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I, uh, we talk a lot about like, oh, we're doing this wrong. What, you know, I shouldn't have said that, or maybe I should have called that person back, or I should have went to that bar after the convention and asked this editor and all of that. Um, do you still feel like you have parts of your career where there's question marks to it? Uh, as I know you're the master and commander of your ship, but you're still like, uh, uh, prone to like getting blown in different directions from the wind, right? Oh, you like the way I clean that up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's just kind of like, well, you talked about, and this is crazy for all you guys that don't know about Mike's output, that he is drawing two syndicated strips, daily strips at a time, at, at one time, Judge Parker and the Phantom. So I'm sure you didn't wake up one day and said, I'm going to draw two comic strips. <laughs> Right. No, 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 no. Um, I, I think one of the, 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 the thing is, is that when you're my idea, I suppose, when I, when I came in, my idea of what a cartoonist, a professional cartoonist was, mm -hmm. was those guys I grew up reading, you know, like, uh, say, John Buscema, Gil Kane, you know, the, 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 the Neil Adams. And those people did a lot of different things. They did comics, but then they did advertising, like in the case of Neil Adams worked on films, they did a lot of different things. And so it seemed like if you were good at drawing and good at telling a story, you would have a lot of opportunities that would come out of your skill set. Because most of the people that I admired, they seemed to do all that kind of stuff. They were always doing not just Spider-Man, they were doing all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I always liked comic strips or I liked the artists that did comic strips. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think as I matured in my twenties and my thirties, I began, I gained an even greater appreciation of those guys who did strips like Judge Parker or in case of like, a, you know, on stage, mm -hmm. Leonard Star, Stan Drake, all those guys. Cause those, I mean, and to do that much work every day, that's the, also the big difference between comics and strips. There's something every day. So you never get off the treadmill. Right. You could do like, three issues of a comic and then not do anything and then come back or just do, you know, a, a mini series, but there is no mini series in newspaper strips. No, it just goes right. Yeah. And I'm sure one of the biggest things, cause you know, I dabbled with doing daily strips, which is crazy. Also the daily color strip is that you're a slave to the buffer. If you can keep one. And for people who don't know, what and I'm you talking. never have enough buffer. You never. never. You know, I, I, I think I only maybe once or twice in my ten years on Judge Parker have I have I had enough buffer. Mm -hmm. But I generally never have enough buffer. Um, and you know, most of the old guys had assistants. Mm -hmm. Most of the old guys came from a time where their idea of a buffer was you were thirteen weeks ahead. Mm. Wow, so, beautiful. so, and most stories were 13, 14, 15 weeks mm -hmm. in length. So you would be working on a story now, but the other, but the story that's out now would be all done. Right. The only guy I know that was, that is still like right to the bone mm -hmm. is Gary Trudeau on, on Doomsbury. Doomsbury, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and, and I guess people who do political cartoons are like, 
right to the bone because they're doing something every day. Right. It's got to be current. Right. Mm -hmm. I see that Chris asked a question. Yeah. Uh, do I ever get active reader black female from the syndicate strips? And yes, I do get some uh, from the strips, um, especially from the Phantom, from the guys overseas, because mm -hmm. um, he's very popular. He's more popular than Batman yeah. in certain, certain countries. Um, so I do get some like uh, from them, mm -hmm. and uh, he asks, uh, "Are there any young readers with that kind of material, or is it all adult?" And I don't know if kids today think about strips in the continuity way. I think they think more of it as a joke, mm -hmm. one-off kind of things. I don't. I have not met in my in my my travels many young students who are interested in comic strips mostly people are interested in comics per se and mm -hmm. have several students who you know have want to do some magnus opus everybody wants to start out with like dune or lord of the rings or something right. with like you know this world with a hundred characters and i'm like just draw a story with two people and if you can do that you can draw six pages of a story with two people where you can see the world they're in, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they, they, where they live and what they're doing. And uh, you can get the word balloons to fit with the pictures. If you can do six pages of that, that's, yeah. that's step one. Right. Yeah, right. Um, so, and there's a lot of people, you know, who are, who, who love this and are interested, but you know, it's still like really 1% of 1% mm -hmm. who actually come through in the end. Mike, I have I have an old school question from my pal Jeremy. Thanks for joining us tonight, Jeremy. Jeremy says, "Do you experience creative blocks? What do either or both of you do to hydrate a creative drought?" And Mike, let me answer that one for you, and then I'll, <laughs> I'll and I'll tag mine on. One of the things that I would run into a lot with young students teaching cartooning is that they would get stuck or they got bored one of the two, and I think they're both kind of, they both come from the same plant. Um, but when you're doing this professionally, you really, that that part of it doesn't exist anymore, right? I, and maybe Mike can uh, challenge that, but I know like a deadline is a deadline. And uh, the creative uh, um, problem solving comes out in how am I gonna get this done? <laughs> so if there's a block, it's kind of like almost like a cliffhanger that you write yourself out of every week, <laughs> right? I painted, I painted myself in this corner. How am I going to get out of it? But um, having kind of like writer's block or something like that, I don't really think it exists uh, to a point when you're doing it at uh, a really high professional level. Mike, I don't know if you want to touch that. I you know that's a very common question we get. You know, like we're like. Like, where do you get ideas or what do you do with writer's block or, yeah. or artist block? And I have to say, and this is not in a bragging fashion, but I never get I, I never get and never have gotten artistic block. Mm -hmm. I think you could just switch up. If you're stuck on something, you just go draw something else. Yeah. If you, you know, I think my experience is that people uh, set a trap for themselves. Yeah. In two ways. One, they're very afraid to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. 
So then that's a block. The preciousness. Right. right. So it's like, I'm working on the story, but I didn't really figure out my story. <laughs> block. Mm -hmm. I draw all the fun parts of my story. And then I get to these three panels where this thing is going to happen, but I'm not really sure. I didn't really figure out block. Right. Right. Yeah. And creatively, I don't know. I've never had, I have more ideas. I could be like 10 artists. If I could be 10 versions of me, then I could probably draw all the ideas that I have exploding mm -hmm. out of my head mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. And I think that the fear of saying, of making the mistake, is the first one. The second one is not having a recipe for making a successful mm -hmm. project. And one of them is to, like when I teach the cartooning, is you figure out your story first. You don't do anything until your story's all figured out. Mm -hmm. Then you you design your characters because you're designing your characters to fit your story. You're designing your backgrounds, your environments to fit your story. Mm -hmm. Then and then you have so you have all your reference, all your design, you have your story, you know what your story's about, and then you have all your characters and your reference design, then you draw. And you don't do anything else but draw. Mm. You don't try to ink it. You don't do anything else. You just draw it. Then when the drawing's all done, you ink it or you mm. letter it, mm -hmm. and then you ink it, right? And you're very, I'm very, um, I'm very systematic that way. I'm, maybe that's just my personality. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I learned. Mm -hmm. But I find that when I teach a cartooning class, I get people to do like I draw, take a sheet of paper, draw six panels on it. Mm -hmm. You can actually draw it like a stick figure. Mm -hmm. And then write in your dialogue, which you can change later, but then you know what your story is. And if it takes you six sheets of paper with six panels on mm -hmm. each page, you can draw like a one-year-old. You can draw just symbols, mm -hmm. but then you've figured out your story so you don't get stuck. Because usually I have students who come in and they bring a story that has big holes in it. Yeah, like, I did this part. I did this part. I did this part. I don't know what's going to go between these two parts. Right. And then they usually never figure that finish their story. <laughs> right. They right. never, they never finish their story as a professional. You cannot possibly work that way with me having to produce two strips plus whatever else freelance I take. I have to be very systematic. And so like today and it would say Thursday night was a good example. Mm -hmm. I had to have the judge Parker Sunday strip in by friday so i worked all night so i pulled an all-nighter on thursday i did not feel motivated i did not feel like i wanted to do it but i had to do it yeah. so that's where what i call drawing the instrument comes in where there's no muse in the room which 99 percent of the time there's no muse in the room there's no like i feel Today, the light is just right, and all the fairies and the little birds are chirping and everything. That usually doesn't happen. Well, wait a right? minute. You need, you need your snacks and a stack of comic books and a very soft water. No, there's no stack of comic books on my desk. There's just co coffee, you know. There will be some coffee. But I, I, I found, I'll tell you this. Al Williamson told me that I was the only cartoonist that he had ever met who would walk in to the studio, sit down, pick up the pencil, and start drawing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He would come in. He, you know, read stuff. You know, fucks around or whatever. I always just thought it was like a job. You come in, you sit down, and you, you go. And that's more important yeah. than all that 
artistic, that romancing of like the hand to the forehead and the suffering artist and all that. I don't think Jack Kirby or Joe Kubert or Charles Schultz or any of those guys, anybody who had a long, great career as a creator, walked in and go, oh, where's hey, my music today? Mike, hold on. You're breaking up really bad. Let's hold on a second. I'm going to dump you and bring you back in, all right? Maybe that'll help. All right. Give me one second. I <clears throat> uh, hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. Got a little bit of a technical difficulty. Um, thank you guys for your questions. Um, and just, you know, before I bring Mike back in, just remember that uh, we're going to be doing these every week. Uh, we're going to try to do Wednesdays and weekends. So um, feel free to kind of get on board our bus and ride this out with us. Also, just remember, this isn't the Mike Manley show. You guys can ask me questions, too. Yeah, don't keep asking me questions. <laughs> I just want to lay here and take a nap. Yeah, like, I'll, maybe I'll just leave and let Mike just do do his thing. But, you no, know, no. go ahead, Mike, finish. No, I was going to say, that's me, but you might have a, you know, maybe go walk Cosmo. I don't know. Yeah. What do you, what do, you do when you get, like, ah, I've erased that head for the 50th time. I call you. <laughs> <laughs> I call you, boy, can I come over? <laughs> um, you know, no, but you have to have, you have to have strategies yeah. to. Mm -hmm. Just to make this. What's your, what is your strategy? Right. Um, I... what, what's the last time you felt that happen? The last time you, the example of that, that happened to you. Well, you know, I'll, I'll put it like this. I think one of the biggest maybe uh, um, um, things that makes that stuff not be so important is the fact that you're always so busy. And I don't mean that as a, like as a brag. It's just like you really have to factor in how much time you have to get things done in a day. There's only 24 hours in a day. I have a day job. I have a limited amount of time every night to get things done and still get up and go to work in the morning. Well, we're in a different situation right now. Um, and I'm getting to a point where I'm getting way too old and creaky to do all-nighters anymore. I refuse to do all-nighters. What? I, can't, I, I just can't do it to my body because if I crank out an all-nighter, I'll be like, trash for like four or five days afterwards so really? it's, yeah so it's better for me just to like turn off the light and hit it in the morning than to try to like power through it um but that's just me god, god bless you jamar god bless you i can't mike i, can't. I, I, I worked to like what does i worked one all nighter and two times until, or three times until like seven or eight in the morning Ugh. I can't do it, man. Yeah, but you're 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 a spe you're a special plant, Mike Manley. I'm a I'm a I'm a special child. See, I used to have all that hair, and they just just all got burnt off from the friction of drawing. Um, Tim uh, is coming in with a, a hot a hot topic, Mike. I'm gonna um, put this on the screen and talk about it, and then I'm hoping maybe we can see what's on your drawing tablet for a minute. But let's do this. Oh, oh. Well, let's get my drunk. Go ahead. Okay. So Tim asks or says, sorry, I had to step away. 
Would it be so bad if the mainstream comic book industry took on a webtoon model? That with an option to print. Sh sure, shops would be hit, but the idea that the comic industry has been on life support for the last 30 years is just wrong. Uh, Mike, you want to touch that? It was just as a, an industry question, like what, you know, what about uh, approaching comic books and distribution like a Webtoons model versus circling the drain like it's been doing for 30 years? How do you feel about that? I, I, I think that we should have, they should have been doing that 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Frankly, I think they missed the mega boat. I think it's a lot of boats. I think if you're a publisher, they should have been in the publishing business and look at the models that are changing. But I think that's part and parcel of what is wrong with the industry as a whole, is that it's sort of timid and backward leaning, not forward leaning. Yeah. Like these guys missed on the turtles. These guys missed on a lot of things. Yeah. They missed on anime. They missed on the they missed on the fact that uh, comics around the rest of the world, like anime, is super popular. So if Marvel Comics folded up tomorrow and DC Comics folded up tomorrow, it would stop for the people drawing Marvel and DC Comics, but it's not going to stop all the kids reading comics. Yeah. It's not going to stop all the people reading webtoons. Mm -hmm. And should be, if they were smart, mm -hmm. they should be doing their own versions of webtoons with their characters or working out deals would put people stuff up on and let people participate just like webtoons does farm farm the creative young minds out there and then if you come up with the next spider-man well then maybe you can work out a deal with disney where you mm -hmm. get 50 percent, they get 50 percent. i mean there's a lot of ways you can skin that cat but yeah. that if i was running marvel comics that's what i would be doing I yeah, don't think I, president. President. <laughs> I that's exa that's exactly what I would be doing. Something like that where I would be getting the young talented people out there who are hungry and creative because you know Spider-Man's going to appeal to some people but like I said the last day of class before we all were coronavirus out of the building mm -hmm. I had a young uh, a student who likes comics, and she told me, but I'm never going to read Spider-Man. Yeah. Right? So how do you... Then there's millions of girls who are never going to read Spider-Man. They're just never going to be interested in that. So what do you say? Well, that whole group of people who are talented and creative and interested in telling stories, ah, forget it. Uh, really quick, Tim says... Okay, so why aren't they doing exactly what you just said, Mike? Why aren't they doing this? I think it's because they have a they up until what a week ago, they had a two weeks ago, they had a model mm -hmm. that wasn't working perfectly, but it was working. Mm -hmm. And if you're gonna take the risk, right? You're gonna take the risk to start a new imprint, a new way of working. That involves taking millions of dollars, investing millions of dollars. You know, the Webtoons is run out of some big South Korean uh, telemarketing company, telephone company, yeah. right? So it's like this little piece of something that they can do on the side, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, Disney runs a tight ship. Mm -hmm. Are they going to be willing to spend 
$10 million to set up this thing, get people in there. They're going to run it. Again, if you don't have the right people in charge, they're not going to structure it and mm -hmm. attract young the, the young creators mm -hmm. and structure it so that you get people coming in wanting to work with you mm -hmm. and then putting out a product that also appeals to the teenagers. I mean, that's part of the problem with comics now mm -hmm. is that, I mean, you know, I'm in my fifties. Mm -hmm. I read comic books when I was five. Mm -hmm. Most of the people that read comic books are between your age and my age, mm -hmm. the bulk of people. Yeah. And some slightly, you know, slightly older, like Walt and people like Walt Simonson, people like yeah. that. Yeah. Those are that's that's the direct market, mm -hmm. not the fifteen-year-old, not the eight-year-old, right. not even the twenty-year-old, mm -hmm. right? Not even the twenty-year-old. Mm -hmm. So they would have to be willing and do the research to set up, and then the retailers would say, "Well, we don't like that because you're not buying Spider-Man, right?" In our store, like my my whole angle on a lot of this, and we talk about this a lot, is that I think all of this is still kind of caping for mainstream books, right? Mm -hmm. Where I I came into the game as an independent, I self published, I was doing web comics before it had a name. Um, I've gotten to a point which I'm very fortunate of to have a name without ever drawing a mainstream book. That's, you know that's rare, Mike. Um, I, you know, no Ninja Turtles guy, but you know, <laughs> I, you know I, I, have, I have my cred. So all of those things don't really help me as an independent creator get my name out there. Um, I think a lot of this conversation goes into either wanting to protect the sanctity of mainstream superhero books or you know, just mainstream books in general, and not kind of uh, concern itself with how are you as a content creator going to find your audience? The two different conversations, and I'm not poo-pooing this one. Um, I'll just say that I don't I don't think about that that much anymore. Um, up the thread, Steve Conley asked Mike if you was at your dream to want to work in the Marvel bullpen. And this kind of leads into my next statement. I suppose, yeah. I mean, my my, if I could, uh, if the great kazoo were to appear here and give me my dream, my dream would be to work in like 1970. Mm -hmm. That era oh. had every single great cartoonist of the Silver Age, mm -hmm. and the and 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 you know all the all my heroes. And all the guys all the way back to the golden age were working, yeah. right? And so the level we had to compete with every month might include Frank Rosetta, Neil Adams, Joe Kubert, John Buscema, John Romita, you know? It's a murderer's like, row. <laughs> right. You had like every single guy who was great all working at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so my aesthetic that I desired, that I, that I was trying to train myself for, was for that era. Not that mm -hmm. there are still not nice comics now and stuff, but I don't feel, as a whole, the medium, art-wise, is anywhere near what it was in 1970. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a bold statement, but and yeah. you, and you're really entitled to that because there were like. It was almost like the age of the masters then. It was kind of a, a, a blend of 
the professionalism of the past and also uh, uh, respect of craft and being an originator, all those things kind of melded together in one period of time. And then I think it kind of splintered out as we, we move forward, right? For I'm sure there are a lot of people that got into comics after that wave who were just comic book fans, right? Well, well see, I, 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 I split it up into very distinct eras for me. Okay. Right? So there was the the golden age and then the, the silver age. So the silver age is all the great Marvel guys, right? Mm -hmm. And that includes all the guys at DC, like Hubert and Heath and all those guys, right? Yeah. And then you had Wrightson mm -hmm. and Kaluda and the Barry Smith and all the art guys, the young art guys, Simons right. and all those guys coming in. Yeah. And they had a much more of a, they had the fan side of it, but then they were also bringing in other aspects to it. The guys like, who were in the studio, right? Like Steranko would fit then, in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I still think Steranko's more like he's in between. Okay. Because mm -hmm. I think Steranko, I think of Steranko more old school than new school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I, I, to me, because he was really drawing more upon like the pulp guys mm -hmm. and a lot of that stuff, you know, and he, so. That's kind of how it works for me. He's kind of like an odd guy because he came in, did his stuff, and then kind of got out. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. um, so I, for me, that's how I look at it, right? And then you had like the – from Wrightson and Kaluta and Barry Smith, Richard Corbin. And mm -hmm. then you go into the next wave where then we started seeing the European stuff through heavy metal. But then mm -hmm. you also had the next wave of guys like John Byrne. Mm -hmm. Right, and mm -hmm. that whole era, George Perez, that whole era of people. So mm -hmm. my taste aligns more with the the classic Marvel and the early DC stuff of you know of rights and Swamp Thing, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. right? Um, and now I don't really see the business having that level of chops anymore because mm -hmm. I think one of the things is most of those guys aged out and mm -hmm. second a lot of the new talent like I said the last time we were talking a lot of new talent goes into other things right not just comics was kind of like one of the only things you could go into right. if you really like doing that stuff mm -hmm. now there's a lot of other really cool jobs you can be an animator a designer right. games mm -hmm. how many cool people go into games yeah, like my class at Drexel, my writing for comics class, almost all of the students were in game design <laughs> or a couple of screenwriters. Right. Um, I got, uh, well, I'm looking in the room real fast. Uh, Steve asks, how about you, Jamar? What was your initial goal? Dreams of working at DC and Marvel? Thanks, Steve. Um, no, I never wanted... Uh, that was never a dream of mine. The way I came up, I grew up as a newspaper strip fan. And I always had a goal of draw, a dream of being a comic strip artist. Uh, my love of comic books came later. So I guess you can kind of see where my allegiances lie as we have these conversations. Because I'm more of an outlier in all this. It's not like I don't understand it. I'm totally in it with everybody else. Do but you think I that, that was... That was unique if guys your age to want to do strips i think so 
especially even being a black guy, like I, you know, I've t had stories I've told you about, even when I was trying to get syndicated and I would send in these really horrible pitch, these pitch packets to the syndicates and no one knew what I was talking about when I would talk about it out loud. Like syndic, what? The what? It was so foreign. Right. And I just had this knowledge of this business that people didn't think was real. <laughs> but comic books made more sense. But that was also something that you didn't do. Somebody else did that. Um, so I always felt, again, like I was a bit of an outlier. But even, you know, my style today doesn't lend itself to a Marvel style, even that doesn't really exist anymore the way it used to, Mike, when you were like heavy in Marvel and DC. Um, but I think it all kind of comes down to um, owning your stuff. I think that's my line in the sand that, you know, it's great. And like almost all my buddies are, you know, comic book guys who draw that stuff. But I never really wanted to do it. But if they offered you Spider-Man tomorrow. <laughs> that wouldn't happen. But I, I do a one, I do a one shot. <laughs> you go, total sellout. Sellout. Total sellout. Drawing Spider-Man. Uh, look, uh -huh. uh, look at him drawing Spider-Man. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What did I tell you? <laughs> I told you that boy was no good. He up in these streets drawing Spider-Man. What's his problem? Yeah. Um, well, we're we're gonna get close to wrapping it up, but I, I think I want to have Mike show uh his board. Because uh, we got a lot of great uh, uh, reactions last week, Mike, to you um, inking in Clip Studio Paint. So you got some paper or some digital you're going to flip? I'm actually – oh, let me share my uh, share my screen here. So I'm working on this next um, week of the judge. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boot you up here. Okay. So, so what I have, what I do first is I go through and I take my script and I uh, cut and paste in the the script. So, let me go over here and get this script. So, so here's uh, uh, the script for this week. So you can see that I'm working on this panel right here. Mm -hmm. uh, you can see the description. And so then, what I do first thing I do is I cut and paste all the the uh, dialogue in. And place that, and then I go and I do a very rough sort of block in. Mm -hmm. So they're in the kitchen, and so I kind of get everything arranged very loosely. And then I go back, uh, like I'm doing here, and I'll go back over and tighten the pencils up. Mm -hmm. so you can see here, here's uh, uh, Nettie coming in the door. She's mad that um, in the kitchen, uh, she's mad that uh, Sophie was at the park. Uh, protesting uh, the uh, the production of her TV show being shot mm -hmm. in the city. Um, and so Sam is turning to look at Nettie as she comes in the door. Sam and so there's the door behind Sam. There's Sam. There's Abby having they're having their coffee. And then she Nettie is coming in the door. So, you know, the one of the hard things about comic strips is that you have so little room. Yeah. Right. You have to always. You have to really condense things, um, and uh, you know, you the images are printed very small on the paper, so um, you try to. You have to almost magnify things a little bit more. 
So like mm -hmm. I might say, if I'm looking at this here and I go, well, I think his head is too low, right? right? When I originally did it, and then I could just, you know, grab it and, uh, you know, I might move it up. Yeah. So I might move it, uh, move it up there. Mm -hmm. And so I'll go through and um, pencil this and then uh, tighten it up. I would send this to Liang. And she would ink the background, or sometimes maybe she here she would ink the background, mm -hmm. and then I'll I'll ink the ink the figures, and um, it's it's funny because now I've been drawing this strip for so long now. It's how and, long? It's like six years, seven years, ten, no, ten oh, years. Oh, that's for the judge. That's ten. Yes, the Phantom yeah. you've been doing for like five or six, right? Uh, no, the Phantom will be four this year. Okay. So Phantom will be four this year. So it's after a while you get you so used to drawing these characters, even though they're you know more realistic characters, mm. you know that proportion of that person's face so well that you go, I know when Sam's nose is a little bit too long. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get very sensitive to mm -hmm. things like that. And I remember in the beginning, one of the hard things about this was when I started. Actually, in both cases, on both strips, I ended up getting both strips because the previous artist died. Mm -hmm. So Eduardo Barreto got sick and died Yeah, on Judge Parker. And unfortunately, uh, Paul Ryan died suddenly when he was drawing the Phantom. Yeah. So in the case of Judge Parker, when I took over, they wanted me to sort of mimic Eduardo's style a little bit. Mm -hmm. They didn't have me do that so much on Paul's stuff on the Phantom because one of the theories they had at the time was that any excuse a newspaper has to drop the strip, they will. So if they look at it and go, well, wait a minute, that guy's not writing it anymore, right. or that guy's not drawing it anymore, bah, let's let's yeah. let's cut it. So right. so anyway, um, you know, it's it's the other thing. This is another thing about digital. Mm -hmm. Now I see the whole strip. Now I'm drawing his head. Mm -hmm. When I'm drawing traditionally, I always see the whole strip. And so I won't do something like it would be less likely for me to have to blow up or change something mm -hmm. because I would see that right from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Something what I'll find is when I go back through and I'll pencil something because I'm in on like this face. Let's say if I decided to draw Abby's face mm -hmm. on here, I may end up going back and going, oh, her head is too small. Right. Maybe she's too small compared to Sam. but And that's because my eye is not seeing the whole image at one time. Right. All right. That never happens traditionally because your eye sees the whole image. Right. You don't have to zoom out in real life. Right. right. And <laughs> another one of those things that's a byproduct of this process that mm -hmm. I'm aware of now. And so because I'm aware of it, it's something I work with the students who are working digitally to make mm -hmm. sure that they are aware of it. Because yeah. when you're working on a painting or drawing traditionally, your eye sees the desk and the piece of paper and, you know, your periphery vision, right? You're seeing everything all at one time. Mm -hmm. It's easier for you to judge things. When you're working digitally, you tend to be like, in order for me to draw his face, I got to make it big enough on my screen. Well, that means I don't see mm -hmm. how things relate to each other. Right. And one of the things you read, you learn if you look, read about artists like Joe Kubert or Will Eisner or Jack Kirby, 
guys are really great storytellers. Yeah. They're aware of not only that panel and that figure, but that panel and that figure in the context of the whole. Mm -hmm. And you don't, you, now I have to do this to see the context of the whole. <laughs> right. that, that step, this step right here, mm -hmm. is something I don't have to do with traditional. Mm -hmm. so there is, there's actually, there's, there's a, a step in my creative process of having to always do this. Mm, zoom in and out, right. Right. And mm. that probably affects me less because my brain and my eye and my hand and the whole way I work as an artist developed before I had to do this. Mm -hmm. But if you're developing and you're having to do this. Mm, yeah, what would that do to you if someone gave you paper and a pencil? Right. So you're in trouble. I, yeah. Right. So I'm just saying that there's, these all these things that I'm aware of now because of where I came from. Mm -hmm. And I basically developed wholly as an artist before this stuff became part of my daily job. Mm -hmm. That a younger artist may not be aware of because they're developing as they're de developing using, they're growing as they're using this new mm -hmm. material. And I think that that's something that, that young artists should be aware of because it's a choice that you can make. It affects the choices that you make. Mm -hmm. that, was, uh, that was very uh, on, on target, Mike. I appreciate your uh, candor. Um, <laughs> no, no, I mean, this, this is like, this is the sausage getting me right here. And for people who have always been curious about how this really works. Um, just being able to talk to people like yourself and have great periodicals like Draw Magazine, published by Tomorrow's. <laughs> um, you know, and those kind of resources are just valuable. And it always kind of strikes me as odd when you come across some students who just, they don't really ask really good questions or maybe they're just a little too afraid of the answer. I think it's that. I think it's right? that. I yeah. think that, that Anytime you and I have done any kind of panel, usually what happens is we have to get we have to tease the audience into asking us questions because everybody has they all have questions, but they're all afraid to go. Mm -hmm. Oh, I said that question, and everybody goes, "You're stupid. Why did you ask that question?" Yeah, that's yeah. a stupid question, right? You know, yeah. And they don't come, and they don't line up to ask you questions or to show you stuff after the panel. They all skedaddle. Right. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I always say to every class, it's, it's what you're doing is you're paying to pick my brain. Mm -hmm. So if you don't pick my brain, then why are you, why are you in the class? Why, why are you taking the class? You know, right. you could just go home and watch something on YouTube then. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, you know what, Mike? This this is running a, a little long, but I'm okay with it. I hope you guys who are in the chat are still hanging on. I had a couple more questions just because we're kicking it, um, and then we'll wrap it up. And so we'll save something for next Wednesday. Since we're talking so much about teaching and the student-teacher relationship, do you want to touch on apprenticeship for a second? Uh, as a young cartoonist, like I say this to you once in a while that. I wonder how my skill set would be if I had met you in a different way. Like, well, I think our friendship would be different, but like if I studied under you, right? 
I hate you. I hate you, Mike Manley. And you run away to your room and cry. Because when I was coming up, I didn't know any other cartoonists. And I, you know, they were kind of like fairy tales, right? So just, you know, being fortunate enough to know somebody in your town who did it and kind of fighting through a fear of going, well, I need to go. I'll do whatever this guy needs. I'll sweep hair in the in the barbershop because I was I would be that serious to learn this stuff. But um, I know that uh, one of the famous things about you and Brett Blevins, uh, you guys kind of came into the industry at the same time. And you want to talk about Al a little bit in that uh, early relationship? Okay. Well, I, I mean, I was the same boat. You know, I grew up in Michigan. Grew yeah. in Detroit, and there was no, I didn't know any professional cartoonists. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't, my, and my grandfather, who was what you would call a display letterer, in other words, he did lettering, um, like in the old days when you go into a supermarket, all lettering was done by hand before desktop publishing. Right. Almost all done by hand. And mm -hmm. so he did that. So he was a commercial artist, but he was not really into drawing, you know, comics and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I was in the same boat. It's like I didn't know anybody. I, if I had lived in New York, I suppose I would have been good enough as a teenager to go get a job, you know, sweeping somebody's floor. But I was in the same. I was in the same boat as you. Mm -hmm. um, and then when Brett moved up to work in Al's studio, I'd go up and visit all the time. Mm -hmm. And you know, I might go up and stay for a week or four or five days here there and then eventually he said well why don't you you know move up and so i did i moved up uh and i worked with him shared the studio with him and, and brett and that was great because like i was saying last week one of the things i i uh, i learned from al who was not a teacher right right al right. was not not he was certainly not i'm not making this saying this as a criticism mm -hmm. i'm just saying that he was not a guy who was a teacher in the way that I am a teacher or that you are a teacher. Mm -hmm. so, but if you observed him mm -hmm. and watched him and looked at, you know, he had the most incredible collection of originals ever. Mm -hmm. um, you could learn from that, like yeah. just seeing how something was done, you know, mm -hmm. and you could ask him something and he might suggest, Oh, you can do this. You could try this. You could do that. But he was not uh, he wasn't like teaching, teaching. I yeah. think that whole teaching thing, you probably had to go to the Kubert school where Joe would probably sit there and go. And in fact, I know Al did teach for a while at the, the Kubert school, but I still think in some regards, you cannot teach this. You can <laughs> help people mm -hmm. and you can point things out and you can put a piece of tracing paper over like I do with all my students and draw over their work and say this, mm -hmm. so you can fix this, so you can fix this, or this is why this is now working or whatever. You still have to then go do that. Right. You know, it's yeah. not like if I, if I just sit there and tell you, you know, lecture at you for three hours until your brain explodes, mm -hmm. you're going to be able to sit down and draw mm -hmm. anything because drawing is, is like time in. It's like, just like um, paying a piano or doing any martial art. It's like time in. So uh, it was great to watch him and a guy who was a professional he was like the kind of professional you wanted to be. Yeah. He, had a great work, he had a great studio. He had a great work ethic. He was a great guy. He was a fun, very, he could be a very generous person. Mm -hmm. um, and you could say, well, here's a guy who's in his, I think when I met Al, he was 53. Mm. And he was happy. Yeah. You know, he was a happy guy doing what he loved to do in a way, the same way that I was, 
when I was a kid. He was when he came to America from Bogota, Colombia, when he was like 12 years old. He wanted to be a comic book artist, and that's what he ended up becoming was a comic mm -hmm. book artist. But we were very similar in that way. You know, the, the difference is, is that I think as a kid, because he lived in New York City, you know, he could go around to studios and he could do things that, you know, like living in Philly, there was probably nobody you could go see, I don't think. Right? No. So mm -hmm. I always tell the students that, see, you don't have to be somebody's apprentice and you don't have to be somebody's, uh, you know, you don't have to have the golden life or have the golden ticket. You just have to have the desire. If you have the desire and the passion, you will, over, you will overcome whatever difficulty that you have, because mm -hmm. that's what's really important mm -hmm. to become successful is having that, that focus on that and that desire. So, yeah, that's, that's great. And so I, go ahead. no, so I, I was going to say, you know, I mean, you did the same thing. We're yeah. very similar in that way that you yeah. did, you didn't have, you know, you didn't go like hang out with some cartoonist and said, okay, kid, I'll let you ink. Yeah. I'll let you leave Henry's nose this week. <laughs> really? Thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, I didn't have any of that. And I think the only saving grace I had for even becoming a professional artist at all was the fact that my mother was a commercial artist. And I saw how that really worked in real life. Like she had a, a little room in our apartments that she had a drafting table and there were always like weird art supplies and T-squares and templates and, you know, the phone would ring and she'd be talking to clients. And it was a, it was real. It wasn't something that you had to like sign away for to get a VHS, VHS tape with somebody drawing on it or seeing the, like the Disney people behind the scenes, like I watched that happen. And it made me feel like, well, wow, I guess this is a, a career path or a trajectory. Um, I think if I didn't have those type of early influences, I probably would have gotten talked out of being a cartoonist because it's not real or you should be a, you know, you should be a ball player or whatever, but I'm short <laughs> and not that great in <laughs> basketball. You would have been a better better grappler than a uh... oh yeah yeah i wanted to wrestle but you know just those kind of like those easy kind of forks in the road for kids i think is so important and when i'm around young cartoonists or kids all right let me say this and we both could talk about this for hours but it's i usually have to have a conversation with the parents of a of a kid that I'm going to teach, like when I was teaching youth cartooning, who have a very vague idea of what being a cartoonist means. A lot of the kids would show up in my class day one and the parent would just like push them in the doorway and try to skedaddle. And I'm like, well, wait, 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 come back. We need to have a talk. Um, because their kid likes to sit on their stomach and draw SpongeBob for 40 minutes doesn't mean they want to do tell stories, right? Also doesn't mean they know how to take direction or even want to draw this stuff at a, another level that at what we were doing. So, you know, when those parents got away with from me, I found a lot of students who burned out in the first two weeks, right? This is long. Why do I have to do this? I'm done now. Paper down. I'm done. Well, what do you mean you're done? Right. We have like two more hours. <laughs> I well, to be honest with you, 
that's one of the reasons why I stopped teaching cartooning because yeah. I realized that it was sort of a lot of times it ended up sort of being babysitting and I don't want to babysit anybody's kids. True. Yeah. I yeah. like teaching. I like teaching, but if you're not old enough that you can, can concentrate on it. And the yeah. problem is a lot of these programs will bring in a eight year old, a 10 year old. And they yeah. think that that 10 year old is going to go from nine to three working on cartoons. And that's just not going to happen. You yeah. know, after 90 minutes, they want to start bouncing off the walls. So right. It's it's like I can always tell the kid right away or the kid one or two in every class that's, that has a chance. Yeah. It's not the person that's bombastic and jumping around. And it's not even the person that has uh, the nice sketchbook. It's the weird kid that's sitting there quiet mm -hmm. and has a sketchbook full of drawings. That's the kid. Yeah. Because you have to – because they're living inside their head. Yeah. That's the kid that has the chance – if they desire it more than anything else to be an artist, mm -hmm. because you have to derive more pleasure from that than any outside stimuli. It's like your, 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 your brain, your imagination provides you more interest than playing video games even, or any, any, anything else is very hard because you have to put a lot of hours into it. And yeah. I was, I would always tell the kids, you know, I, I quit playing sports in high school. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of other things. I, I stopped because I wanted to draw. Yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. you have to be willing to put the time in. I've never met a savant. I've never met, you know, you see those little kids on YouTube that like play the guitar, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're like four years old and they can play. Yeah. All. I never met a person like that. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I certainly never met a person like that. That was an artist. Mm-hmm. That maybe they exist, you know, somewhere in the world, but I have never met anybody that was like that. Yeah, they'll 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 want you to believe that these kids are all just laying all over the place. My kid can draw it. Oh, that's my favorite. Oh, my kid, he can draw anything. He can draw Popeye. Show him. Give him a piece of paper. He can draw Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not a knock on teaching. I you know I celebrate any parent or guardian who sees an interest from their kid into wanting to follow an art path. It's hard. It's very hard. Um, but, you know, if it was easy, no one would do it, right? Well, that's... No, everyone would do it if it was right, easy. If it was easy if, <laughs> I said that wrong, yeah. Right. Every, if, it was, if it was easy, everybody would be, you know, Charles Schultz or Mobius or, or whoever, and that's just not the case, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's put this to bed. Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining in. Um, just a couple of notes, some show notes and some notes for the future. Um, every week for as far as long as a lockout lockdowns going on, Mike, I think we should do these. Right. Um, but don't get used to just seeing Mike and myself. Uh, we're going to get back into an interview format soon. Uh, we're lining up some uh, very special creative guests to come in. So you'll probably see Mike um, asking them questions more than me asking questions of Mike. Um, so if, if you guys have anybody you'd like to see us interview, why don't you let us know? I cannot promise it anything, but it'll be interesting to see where you guys are gauging things from. Um, also, I want to give another shout out to our uh, sponsor, uh, Clip Studio Paint. 
Um, I have a big blurb from Cliff Studio Paint to read, but you get it. Like we've been talking about this stuff all night. <laughs> um, it's good stuff. You can watch Mike draw in it right now. It's it's not a trick, um, but uh, it enhances your work your workflow immensely if you are. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is great for drawing. It really is. It's the best. So far, I've, I've, you know, I've been doing this, like I said, a long time, and I've never, I can't draw this well uh, with this kind of response of the pen in Photoshop. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is super true. Um, hold on. There's some comments down here. Uh, Chris, hey, Chris. Chris says, this was really cool. I'm looking forward to more. I hope you guys are doing good. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. So uh, thanks. Yeah. yeah Tell your friends. Yeah. This uh, we want to try to grow this. Uh, we're going to uh, try to stick to doing Wednesdays at 8 p.m. here on Facebook. Uh, uh, please follow us on the uh, pencil to pencil Facebook page that we have. Uh, I'm looking to do our first uh, giveaway. Uh, I have some full let's clips. Do, let's do one next week. Okay. So let's do one next week. So uh, I am going to reach into the um, fans and followers of the um, Pencil to Pencil Facebook group. If you haven't liked it or joined it, you better get on that because the people that are signed up and uh, have to do jumping jacks or whatever we figure out uh, will be eligible to win a yeah. full – Yes. Mm, a full ten thousand jumping jacks. Yes. A full license of uh, di a digital license of a clip, clip studio paint, uh, pro or ex. Um, that's not a trick. That's real. Uh, and I'm looking forward to um, growing our numbers there. Um, also, you can uh, follow pencil to pencil as we are going to be uploading the audio onlys of these podcasts to our page on. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and also on Google Play, and and right. Am I missing anything, Mike? Did I get uh, it? Yeah, uh, HBO Plus, uh, <laughs> Disney Plus, Disney Plus, CBS <laughs> streaming. Exactly right. Yeah, and, and um, I want to thank all of you for being interested in what we do here and for uh, celebrating the the gift of cartooning. Thanks to my co-host Mike Manley. Mike, where thank can they, you. Where can they find you online, Mike? Uh, well, right here on Facebook, uh, Draw Manly on Instagram. Um, I would like it to if you guys could send us questions during the week that maybe we could start off by answering a mailbag. Yes. Uh, if you have specific questions for Jamar and me uh, that relates especially to our drawing process, mm -hmm. um, I, that would be that would be awesome because uh, that's that's the stuff that that's why we started the podcast yeah you know it's to to really get into the whole creative behind the behind the curtain kind of thing so if you guys could do that then it also makes us talk more about what you guys are interested in rather than just <laughs> filling the air That's right yeah exactly oh cool wait hold on uh amani says can i see jamar work digitally yeah next time, go ahead. Oh. Next time. yeah so i have to i have to fix my setup 
because um, all my stuff's over there, but I'll put it over here. So we'll get there. So yeah, next week. Oh, we, we can just look at you. Uh, we can just look at your. Uh, oh, my 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 baby Cintiq back here. Yeah, we can look at you just behind there. Go back. Just go draw a whole. Six, <laughs> I'll send you the script. You can draw all six Judge Parker. <laughs> all right, uh, I'll do that for you. All right, you guys. Thanks. Uh, enjoy your weekend, and you know my sign off. Wash your hands and don't be racist. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>